Hey team, today's podcast episode is sponsored by Beam, B-E-A-M. They are a CBD company. Brett and I have both been trying CBD for quite some time and have really fallen in love with Beam as a brand. I specifically use Beam for recovery from stressful and hard workouts. After I climb, my elbows and wrists get sore, so I will spread the solve around those specific areas. And after a long run, I definitely like to use the tincture to relax my muscles, help aid in recovery so I can go hard at it the next day. Brett and I are always on the go, so I'm using the Beam's uh, CBD protein bars, which are amazing. They're both vanilla and chocolate. Um, always have a couple in my backpack, and I also use the tincture a lot. So I use Beam and CBD a lot for sleep, um, which really helps my mind recover and start to calm down before I'm going to bed. Beam is all-organic, pharmaceutical-grade, full-spectrum CBD. So in each one of their protein bars, there's about 20 milligrams of this full-spectrum CBD oil. The salves come in different potencies and CBD in general helps balance mood, reduce anxiety, increase muscle recovery amongst a ton of other benefits. And what exactly does that mean? Being 100% THC free means that there are no psychoactive side effects in any of their CBD, while full spectrum includes other natural compounds like cannabinoids and terpenes that help support the benefits of CBD. If you're looking to test out CBD and want to give Beam a try, check out their website to purchase some of their amazing products and make sure you use code LIVEBETTER at checkout to receive a discount. We'd love to hear about what you guys are using, how this stuff is helping and aiding you in recovery, in sleep, or whatever way in which you are using it in order to have the best day ever. Check out beamtlc.com and enter the code LIVEBETTER. Welcome to the Live Better Podcast. Today kicks off a series geared around the marathon. So Jason and I are running our first marathon coming up in October, Chicago. We have a very lofty goal for a first time, a very lofty goal for anybody. And we've been grinding. We have been dealing with all sorts of body, mental, fun stuff like that. So we're just going to kick off. Um, This can relate to anybody, even if you're not running the marathon, just getting towards a goal Um, what it takes to do that and how throughout the process you have to be able to be mobile and understand your body and your mind. I think marathon in general gives us like a really nice perspective on goal setting, even outside of running at all, because it is such an endurance and distance focused race. It is not something that you can just wake up and go do. Um, And if you are capable of doing that, then there certainly is a better time target you could have hit, even if you could wake up right now and go run one. And I think it's, it's interesting because I don't think most people actually goal set for a really long period of time and think about those things stretched out over time. So even the things you're doing for your physical body normally are just, oh, well, I'll work out a couple times a week or, oh, I want to make this look better. So you have these little short-term goals, but you're not making this macro goal that's being broken down into little bits and pieces. And it's funny because the marathon is such a, is such a huge distance, but you unpack it, it's just a little bit of work a week mm-hmm. over increasingly large increments as you get closer to the date. But as you run more, you can handle more, which is just like the perfect anecdote um, for really setting a goal for anything. It's been really interesting for me talking just about that. Um, I did 22 miles this last weekend 
um, in about three hours. So our goal is to do it sub three hours. Obviously, I wasn't going all out. Um, and it was interesting because when I looked at that run, I felt good the whole time. And it was the longest I've ever run in both miles and distance. So I looked back at some of the runs. I've been tracking it on the Nike app. And just to see my first long run, which I think I did about 10 miles, and I did about seven miles fast and then just crashed after that. So to think about now that I can over double that with no crash at all is, is, is a testament to just that, to putting in time every single week. So we've been breaking our runs down, doing um, one longer run a week, um, one speed-focused run-ish a week one more tempo style, one more recovery, and then layering in strength training, uh, maybe taking a class, or if a friend wants to run, layering something else in. But pretty much breaking it down into about four solid goal-driven runs a week. And you know the time spent is um, a lot of time running, not necessarily that much more time overall training than maybe we would train in a week, maybe an extra hour or two. Um, so the amount of time has just been focused in on one thing. And so I think that's what's been really interesting for me is to say, okay, if I was to look back prior to marathon, how much I was training a week, not much different in regards to time, but now it's such, so much more dialed in and to see this thing develop. Um, obviously, once race day pops up, like you're as ready as you'll be. So it's been cool for me to see how the time allocated to one specific thing has been able to change my capacity physically and mentally to run for that amount of time at that distance. What, how, let's go all the way back to the beginning. Why did you decide to run the marathon in general? So it's been, it was an interesting decision for me. Um, I'm kind of at, was at this crossroads of, I was training a lot and working out a bunch and I kept coming back to the purpose of it. Why am I doing this at all? And it had nothing to do with physique. Um, I set some fun goals along the way, doing a handstand, um, improving my yoga poses, um, running a fast mile, and those things were fun. But again, they were super short term. So it was like I wanted to have something personally that I could strive towards. And then um, obviously our partnership with Nike, we became Nike run coaches along the way. And I wanted to have that under my belt as something to talk to. I think um, I have so many people that I train and work out with that set running goals. So I wanted to be able to say, hey, I, I, I've accomplished something as well. So it was kind of a little bit more for me about understanding where I could take my running and then also being dialed in on a training journey for a long period of time. Yeah. And so when you were going about like making this decision in the first place and then you looked out over when the actual marathon date is, which is October 13th. Um, when did you start running? When did you start training? And then how did you go about actually making that plan originally? Yeah, so I had a um, definitely like a good athletic base going in. Um, and then it was the first thing was setting the goal. So I was like, okay, if I want to run this at sub three hours, which is sub seven minute miles for 26.2 miles. It's so a 652 miles. 652 miles. I was like, okay, that's fast. Um, I'm good at running fast for short distances. I already knew that. So it was really just looking out and then like kind of like when we decided to run it was when I started my training. So I, because it was way faster than what I was capable of for most people start training plans 12, 16, 18 weeks out. Um, I started at the end of last year. 
So right when it got really cold out yeah, was when training was started. Um, and unfortunately, at around that same time, I uh, pulled my hamstring just overworking it. Um, so then I had to take a couple, like probably like three or four weeks off of running. Um, and then so training really picked up again at the beginning of this year. So it's, it's, it was almost a full year for me of training, probably 10 months of time. How about you? Uh, I mean, yeah. Once after the injury I had last year in January, I just decided that I wanted to run again when something gets taken away from you. It's, of course, the first thing that you want to do, like, right away. Um, and so I started running coming out of surgery and rehab in June for the first time, which felt horrible. Um, for those I of you who that. don't know, yeah, I, I tore my hamstring off my hip bone um, surfing in January of last year and the rehab process was pretty bad for that. So June was the first time that I actually went outside and started running, which was a couple months probably ahead of schedule for where most people are coming out of a surgery for that. But, um, I, you know, followed all my rehab protocols and, um, did that at a place in Chicago here. That was great. Um, and they were super, super helpful for that. Um, thank you, Alexis. Um, Thank you, Alexis, getting, for helping with my shoulder, too. Yeah. <laughs> and getting through that injury prompted me, okay, I, I want to start running more. I had been talking to Mike, um, who runs Fast and Fit, um, about potentially wanting to do a marathon. Obviously, mm-hmm. last year, that was out. That would have been um, – would not have been able to, to complete that in October of last year. So we started running really in June, and then I just kind of never stopped. It was – First, it was just to get back to being able to run again, even at all, even a sustained thing. I was running for like two minutes on, walking for a minute. So for somebody going from this very athletic base, like I like doing everything fast. So like you, I am not an endurance athlete at all. I am like a skill athlete. I like going hard, fast, short. That's it. I don't really love long bike rides, long runs. Um, it wasn't really in my wheelhouse. So to go back to something that fundamental to be like, you're allowed to jog for 30 seconds and then walk for a minute is absurdly slow to me. Um, but I think it was actually nice because it sort of wiped the slate clean for me at the beginning and then built that up. I ran my first race of last year was a Turkey trot in November Um, and ran it way faster than I thought I was capable of, which was nice. That gave me some confidence. Then I signed up for the Shamrock Shuffle here in Chicago, which is in March, um, and had a really aggressive time target for that, hit that, and then it's just been kind of like a big, slow build. I think what most people don't get is if you start marathon training 16 weeks before, you're really only, you're, you're not building all that much like true endurance capacity in four months. These people that are running, like the half marathon world record mm-hmm. just got broken this weekend, and a buddy ran a half marathon in 58 minutes and one second. That is a 425 mile mm-hmm. for an hour, which is outrageous. If you and run on a treadmill, that's a 13 and a half. Yeah, 13.5 for, for an 58 hour. minutes. Good luck. It's a 66-second 400-meter. Don't even get on a treadmill. Just go to your local track and try and run one lap in 66 seconds, a minute and six seconds, and see how you feel after that, and then try and do it for an hour. 
Um, I love it. And, and when people look at something like that, it is incomprehensible. Even to me now, even going through this, even being athletic, coming from a background, with, I played soccer, running a ton growing up, being fit, being able to be fast for normal standards. I can't even begin to understand that. But the only way to be able to understand that is to understand that these guys grew up at altitude in the mountains only running all the time. They're also like six foot one, 135 pounds. And, and they train for years. Built to do this and eat like it and train for it and live for it. And that is year over year over year of building that type of capacity. If you think you're going to start in June, you're basically guessing as to what you're pace. You're going to find out your pacing as you're going. Mm-hmm. If you give it a longer lead time, you have so much more room for error to find out what works. And I think, honestly, that's what makes marathon training so difficult for beginners. And I think even with me having a year to do it, I still made a ton of mistakes. So in this, we're going to talk about a ton of our recovery routines and like a little bit of regret, I think, in, in some of the future episodes. We haven't even run it yet, but in some of the future episodes... In this series, we'll also talk about some things I think that we should add back in. Um, but yeah, it, it's been nearly a year, almost in a half process of ages getting back to being able to walk again, then jog, then run again. And then from that base, seeing what was truly possible. So it, it's just been one long build. So to go into the second part of your question, um, how did I create the plan? Um, it was stemmed off of a couple different things. Um, one was talking with coach Bennett. Um, so he's the head, uh, Nike running coach. And when we sat down with him to go over our Nike running training, he kind of broke things down training for any race very similarly. And those are the, the runs we were talking about earlier. And so I looked at that. I looked at a couple of his training programs. Um, I also looked at just the sheer time commitment I had and was willing to make for it. And then just started to break things down. So looked at the date and then kind of backpedaled back, understanding yeah. that, you know, a couple of weeks leading into it, you don't want to kill yourself. So you want to see like, where can you be at certain times programming in a couple of races, um, in there, um, to see, you know, how good do I feel? So ran just a couple of races, things like hood to coast, did a mile time trial, um, and a big 10, 10 K. So those were kind of like the three races I had going in and I just wanted to make sure I was hitting my times for those and felt yeah. good at all of those. So those were baked in there. Um, and I just wanted to put my runs in there to feel good at every single run, push myself. Um, and so I just baked in those runs. And one of the things I took away from that meeting more than anything was the importance of the recovery run. Now we'll go into real recovery in a second here. Some of the tools we use, some of the places we go. Um, but for me, it was interesting was when we were talking with coach, he was saying that, um, when he was having a conversation with another coach about one of his runners, the coach called him and was so hype about this recovery run that one of his runners went on. And, you know, he's telling the story and we're sitting there like, okay, like what's the point? Essentially the point was, was that he was able to recover at such a good, quick pace and feel really good at a low heart rate, it showed that all of his training was paying off. So if you can recover well at an easy pace as a runner, it shows that your training's working. So you're not meant to kill yourself in the long runs. Yeah, that's, um, a, that's a big misnomer. It's a big, I yeah. actually just had somebody ask me that question. They said, 
well, if you're trying to make your heart rate more efficient, wouldn't you want to just max it yeah, out every it. run mm-hmm. to try and get stronger every run? Yeah. But it, the progressive overload of endurance doesn't work the same no. way it does for weight training. And even in weight training, you still need deload. Ample weeks. recover. Yeah. yeah. Even you during still a, have to even have Even it. during a workout to you know get to 98% recovery, you need four to five minutes. Yeah. So if you're going to go hit bench hard... You want to hit it again just as hard? Wait five minutes and go do like you can do a lot in five minutes. Most people aren't waiting that long. Yeah. So when I was looking at those runs, I was like, okay, I want to you know program these things in. You know, hardest thing for you and I is to run slowly for long periods of time. So I was like, I have to put this on a schedule. And you know me, it's like I, it's in a full Excel sheet. I check it off every single time I do it. Um, and that was so that was kind of how I programmed it. And I have actually been extremely proud of myself. I'm probably about 95% sticking to the plan that I created, like to the times, um, to going slow when I need to, going fast when I need to. Um, There's been a couple tweaks that I've made, but those were not because I was like lazy and didn't want to do it. It was like a week out and I was like, okay, I want to run this one a little faster or I think I should run this one a little slower or I want to switch this tempo run up. Um, I used, um, so my Monday runs were my tempo runs and I used the NRCF for all of those. I just found runs that like looked fun. Cause honestly, like the tempo runs are just like whatever you kind of like feel like you want to go do or have somebody create it for you. As long as you're getting your tempos up and down, as long as you're staying at a good heart rate and you're doing it for the right amount of distance, like the intervals aren't as precise as they really like, they don't really matter. Yeah. Um, then I did speed runs on Wednesday, so I either did those at our track workouts that we were hosting, um, or I incorporated a workout class, a berries class for that. Um, Thursdays were recovery, so those were slow, easy miles, sometimes with friends, which was awesome, like run those with you and Mike and um, Tim, which were great. And then my long runs were on Saturday mornings, so I've been having those every single week, Saturday mornings, waking up either before um, training clients or teaching yoga classes, getting out on that on that trail early like 5 36 a.m and just putting down some some miles on the pavement um and then i guess kind of the next thing we'll dive into once you talk about your plan is is the recovery and how we wish we would have maybe started doing that a little bit more earlier yeah um i think it was mike that said this that most runners run enough but don't recover enough yeah you you don't overtrain you under recover yeah so let's hear about kind of like your plan, how yeah. you went about making it. Yeah, so I've been working with Mike Thompson, who runs Fast and Fit. Um, Mike and I have been working out for a while, have been friends for a while. And coming out of rehab, I was also doing my um, rehab at Performance in Motion with Alexis, um, which is right next to where Mike runs his shop. So we started running and lifting together, and I, I wanted the crossover. So that's why we started doing it. I was like, first, A, I want to get my body back to feeling strong. So in June, I tacked on a ton of muscle, shaved all the fat back off, and then started to run. So I was probably almost in like at least the best aesthetic shape of my whole life last June with like a half working leg um, and starting to feel really strong again. I, I, I think that month I was probably the happiest I've ever been. Um, just coming back from such a serious injury is more mentally debilitating than it is physically. Um, when you're in chronic pain for that long, it just, as you know, with your collarbone, it's just, it's horrible. So we started lifting and coming back and we actually rode out in November of last year. We rode out on a, on an eight by 11 piece of computer paper, the entire plan leading up to the marathon. And I framed it and put it on my desk. It's still sitting there right in front of me. I see it every day. And everything that we've written on that sheet has come up. So 
to the pace, to the date, all the races I wanted to sign up for, signed up for them, hit the paces. So like this marathon is just the next checkbox. Um, Working with a coach versus working off of a plan that you might find online is very different because they can make day-to-day adjustments. And if you have an aggressive time target or you're working through an injury, or you generally just like to ask more questions, I would highly recommend seeking out a coach or somebody that you can bounce ideas off of on a consistent basis because it was my first marathon, so I didn't have any notes baked in. I think if I went back and, and, and did it again, you know, could easily write up my own programming. Um, I had already been helping coach clients for like 5Ks and 10Ks, but I always like to do things first before I turn them around and like would write a marathon training plan for a client. Um, so we came up with a plan on mileage. We came up with a plan on pacing for, for everything we did. So he, what Mike like uniquely helped me do was actually keep me in check. So he kept me patient more often. Mm -hmm. I want to go fast. You can't though all the time. Like the marathon, the interesting thing about the marathon is it should be almost aerobic the whole race. So doing sprint work is not doing a ton to build your overall capacity to do the marathon. Sprint work and speed work does a ton to help you build strength, to help you build running form, running economy. It shows you where you're weak, and it just gives you a little bit of grit. Like, going fast is fun. It's it's really hard, too, I think. And so, like, finishing well is just this nice reminder for your body and your brain that, hey, when I'm tired, I can still run fast. Here's what it's going to feel like when I feel fatigued and not good. You're not getting through a marathon without coming through the last couple miles feeling like ass. It's just (laughs) going to happen. It's going to hurt. So we sort of laid out this plan on, like, okay, 5K was November, The 8K was March. The half marathon was mid-July. We had Hood to Coast, which was the end of August, where I put down about 20 miles for my section, and then that was my last race, and I'm going to roll that into marathon. And at each point, we said, "Here's you want to run 3.1 miles at this pace. And it was six-minute miles for me, right on target. Or 6.15 miles, I ran six tenths, right on target. Could have gone faster. Really happy I didn't. The Shamrock Shuffle, my time goal was 30 minutes, five miles. It's a six-minute pace. I ran it in like 30.02. Perfect. Right on, right on target. Could have gone faster. Really happy I didn't. Half marathon was mid-July. Time target was marathon race pace. I ran it in an hour and 29 minutes. Could have definitely gone faster. C- Cross the line feeling really, really good, even though it was 80 degrees and 90% humidity. Glad I didn't go any faster than that. Um, because I just didn't need to. Yeah, you you have to think to. of like overall, anything that you do above and beyond is added stress. And you are trying to peak at one unique day for this massive commitment of like physical energy. Yeah. So anything that you don't recover for or that you overtrain for, you're just pulling from that bank or setting yourself up to risk some type of like injury. Um, so my runs changed kind of every week. It was like Tuesday, I was joining track for them. Thursday, I was doing some type of tempo effort. And then Sunday was my long run, um, because I teach classes on Saturday morning. So like that kind of prohibited me from running with a group on Saturday. Mm -hmm. Um, 
I ran as often as I could have. I think going back, I might have adjusted a couple of those runs to cross train and bike and swim instead to get my heart and lungs healthy, but not put any extra tax on my legs. I think that's really starting to add up on me now, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But um, it was three to five runs a week with the mileage consistently going up five to 10 miles a week, month over month. And we kept it really low at the beginning of the year and kind of like peaked for each race and then kind of dove back down. So after each one of those, I had like a little bit longer deload just to like make sure that my leg could continue to handle it. Um, I know I can finish the marathon, but I'm not sure about the, about the pace. So I think like having those races was a really nice checkpoint and a, and a confidence boost to say, okay, you're capable of doing what you set out to do, so you're on track to do what you set out to do for this marathon coming up in October. So with the plan, the execution, the running, um, let's dive back into that, that conversation of the recovery piece. So I think we both can attest that we trained really hard, or we're training really hard. Um, we're now recovering a lot harder. Um, and let's just talk about some of the recovery tactics. And again, like if you would go back and do it again, would you have changed any, anything that you did in regards to recovery from your physical self, your mental self, anything like that? Yeah. Okay. Well, I'll start with the things that I wish I would have started earlier and then build back into the recovery thing. So I tend to go all or nothing on stuff. So when, when running became the focus, that's all I wanted to do. And the interesting thing about endurance running is that you have to run long periods of time, dedicate long periods of time to just running. So it occupies all of your headspace. So when you have to go back in the gym and do all the strength training, the recovery stuff and go get it, you feel like it's taking time away from time you could be spending running. And that for me was difficult because I got all excited about running. I started to feel really good doing it. You feel your heart get stronger. You feel your legs get stronger. The mileage gets easier. Your paces go down. And then all of a sudden, like the first little tweak comes and you're like, oh, uh-oh. I knew I should have been doing something. Well, that little Plinko game has been happening the whole time and has definitely come back to like bite me in the ass right now, which sucks because this is like prime time to be getting out there to do it. I think the two things I wish I would have done from the beginning are number one, prioritize strength training a minimum of two times a week directly on single leg strength, balance, and adding in accessory core work to support that single leg strength. So your running is essentially a glute-driven activity with all types of like supporting muscles, but you need ankle flexibility, you need strong hips, you need a strong core, you need good posture, you need good breathing, you need good lat strength. And so you think, okay, well, keep my legs strong. That means squat, deadlift, lunge. Yes, but it's also a lot of how does that then play into the mechanics of you actually running. And I think probably the number one move I didn't prioritize enough was like any type of single leg hinge. So single leg RDLs, doing things like hex bar deadlifts, um, single leg and double, I think doing more split stance or like stride length work, like a lot of cable pulling, a lot of cable rotation type work, trying to keep your lower body stable, anything to keep your hip complex along with your core 
extremely strong and stable as you learn to move your legs faster. And then the second thing I think I would have done is swap some of the runs where I felt like I was forcing it for bike rides and for swims because those runs are really to flush out a lot of the um, discomfort from your long runs or your speed runs. And they're also to build lung capacity. So if you're going to choose to just run, you better hope that your body is in shape to handle running five times a week. With my hamstring injury, mine certainly was not. So at the expense of some of these strength training sessions, I was adding in three, four, or five mile recovery runs, which for a normal person might be great if they're dealing from a strong base, but I was not. So I should have prioritized more of that strength. And just the way that my body is shaped and what it's meant for and what I've been doing my whole life, I am a like power athlete. I'm not an endurance athlete. So really strong, but I lack a lot of end range mobility. I lack a lot of just like general control over that. So going really fast without a ton of control is a great recipe for disaster. <laughs> um, they're unrelated, but exactly what happened to my hamstring is just an overstretch. It's a full tear. You're at risk for that for any type of hamstring injury. So if you started running and you get that little twinge in your hamstring, especially if you're going fast or running around a track or even on a treadmill and you're sprinting, that's exactly what happened. You've pushed that muscle past its stretch point and you tore it. And that, for me, obviously happened in a really big way, but I think that started to wear down. So I, I think those two things in the strength training has a caveat to also work on mobility from the start. They're just non-negotiables. I would have given up running more often to go back to do some of those strength training, um, to have some more of those strength training days. What about you? Um, yeah, I mean, I was, what you just mentioned happened to me. So I was definitely over stretching and over lengthening my hamstrings, um, pounding a lot of stretching in thinking that that was the thing for me. Um, it was interesting. We had gotten, uh, we went to Sparta and got all of our force plate testing done, um, way last year. And I was at risk of pulling my hamstring. It was like the number one thing that could happen. Um, and Matt told us, you know, things that we could work on. And I was like, okay, when you're taking yoga, make sure that you're not like just pounding your end range. And if you're doing so, making sure you're strong, work on eccentric strength. And I started to do that, but I didn't take it as seriously as I should. So I had that pull that you mentioned, that lingering thing that, um, I didn't think was holding me back until about six weeks ago when I really started that, all right, I need to fix this. Um, this is this is this is causing some issues. Um, and for the last six weeks, if I would have started doing the stuff I'm doing now, which in all honesty is 15 minutes a day of work, like that would have been my thing. 15 minutes extra a day of glute specific strengthening. Yeah. The shit you see grandmas doing in the gym is what needs to happen because your hips are just not they're not strong. Like your your running is like wears things down because you're not moving laterally. You're not engaging your glutes enough if you have a long stride like me. So things that I did tweak, which I was very happy of, was um, after we saw Robin, um, shortening my stride, um, working on things like toe yoga to get rid of my shin splints. Um, those things were great. 
this was just the one thing. I was like, oh, that's how I run. And so decreasing my stride length has been really helpful, getting my cadence up for sure. But just the 15, 20 minutes of, of glute work a day. It's literally like laying down on my side, doing clamshells, straightening out my leg, lifting it up, getting into a plank, lifting it up. Um, single leg glute bridges, like in all honesty, like I do those now every single day, at least once a day. And on the 22 mile, it was the first time that my hamstring felt good. So, um, I think it's just, you have to understand your body going in. Yeah. You have to be consistent. Like for me, the running piece of it is like, I know I'm going to do that. Like I have to do that or I'm not going to get my pace. It was much more just like those consistent, consistent daily habits. And I look back at my marathon plan and every single day I had a check spot, check box for glute, glute work, minivans and mobility. And if I look back at the days I checked those off, that's like a 30%. Yeah. And the running, I was 95. Yeah. So it's like, okay, you have to think holistically around this. Um, I was good with my strength training. Like I had really good strength training. I would have definitely added some more single leg stuff, but my strength training, I hit all those lifts. Like the big things I did, it was the little underlying consistent stuff that I would get to be eight o'clock at night, nine o'clock. Like I was like, haven't done my glute stuff. I can do this in 15 minutes and I would go to bed. Yeah. And it's just a thing where you have to find where to program that in. So for me, it's just been right when I'm waking up now. Um, sometimes before, right after my clients, I just like lay down and do it. Right when I step into the office, I'll lay down and do it. And it's like my glute strength has gone up. My running discomfort has gone down. And what I thought wasn't holding me back, I can tell was because I feel so much better. The time horizon for the marathon is so long. Mm -hmm. You just can't afford to overlook the little things because they turn into big things. Yep. That's the problem. And even over that time it's horizon, just like everything else, yeah. you're always going to prioritize what you like doing yeah. and what you're the and most what you're good at. focused on. So when you're the most focused on running, that's what you're rewarded for. You're not rewarded for all the glute work, or so you think, but you actually are. Yeah. That's the long term. So I actually um, just wrote a longer piece um, on this, but let's talk about some of the maybe like non-traditional recovery things, or maybe just walk through kind of your easy, the at-home recovery stuff you just talked about not doing enough. Let's talk about that, and then some of the bigger kind of things like like a cryotherapy mm -hmm. or how you go through about adding some of those in yeah so my uh, my daily my daily routine um let's talk about that and then um some of those other things so there's like three main pieces for me four let's go four four main pieces for me in regards to recovery there's a physical there's nutrition there's hydration and then there's like manual slash like other people helping you type thing, <laughs> yeah. like other things like that. So um, the daily stuff, the, the movement patterns, the strengthening, um, that was a little bit of the routine that I mentioned. So for me, it's literally sideline clamshells, doing a straight leg side raise, single leg glute bridge, um, eccentric hamstring curls, and um, let me think what else. And then high plank, um, glute extensions those things two sets of 15 your butt will feel like it is on fire yeah you do those once or twice a day and you know two or three weeks in the, the like the soreness goes away and it's just like oh my glutes engaging it's engaging yeah. engaging before i run um definitely foam rolling so uh, nerve glide foam rolling on my quads and my it bands has been unreal to release all that tension um getting a hypersphere into my glutes using the right into my psoas and my QLs, getting those things unlocked, boom, I'm out, I'm out going hard. Nutrition piece has been really important for me. So um, keeping the inflammation down, like drinking a turmeric latte, pounding in 
way more anti-inflammatory foods, staying away from the things that cause inflammation in my body, like gluten, dairy, and soy, and then uh, making sure that I'm really tapped into that. The next piece of that is the hydration. So staying super hydrated, um, really important for me. Um, I, my favorite supplement for that is Mega Hydrate, so I take that every single day and then load it up when I'm running. So that, I think hydration is just so important in regards to recovery. Um, and then the non-traditional stuff, um, cryotherapy has been huge for me. I've been in that tank along kind of that last six-week journey that I've been talking about, like two to three times a week, and now it's ramping up to four to five days a week. Um, getting manual work done on my body wherever I feel sore or tight. Now it's just kind of like maintenance. Yeah. Um, you're not going to make a huge change in it, but just been getting manual work done, um, specifically on my hamstring and my QLs, which have been tight. So this is a full thing. It's like you want to train this hard and go this fast. Like you need to do it all. You need um, to train like a professional yeah, athlete. It's like a you professional athlete. Pretend like, it's your job. Yeah. And we, you know, we know and coach and talk to professional athletes and you see the regiment that they're putting in. You just have to be willing to carve the time out to yeah. train that well and be that well-rounded. I mean, it, it's the amount of trauma that it puts on your body over the long term. If you don't remove some of that, it just builds up. So if you don't recover back from that to, to get stronger, you never allow your body any time to actually adapt and that's actually the problem with adding too much speed work in is that you're just you're crushing your body's ability to get back above its baseline. You're just knocking it down, which is necessary to create that response. But if you never let it heal or recover, you're never getting back to square one or square one plus one is really what you're after. And then that gets knocked down and down and down until you have to take a break. Yeah. And that's just time spent away from training. Like it is a total consistency game, not an intensity game. Yep. So, uh, so the other things that uh, I've been doing um, that are just kind of like interesting things to test out and try if anybody's running or, or getting towards a goal, um, uh, CBD oil. So Beam has been an amazing player in that. Um, tinkering with different types of dosages for that. Definitely taking bigger doses at night, but also being consistent. It's just a great way to reduce inflammation. Um, using the Normatec boots, so at CryoEffect, where we get our cryotherapy done, um, they have the full chamber. And we normally hit the chamber, which is three minutes, yep. and then take a phone call for the 20, 30 minutes you're in the boots. Um, and then they also have infrared sauna, which is another way just like detoxify your body. Um, and then the last thing that I'm a big fan of is just grounding. So getting out in nature, putting your feet onto the earth and just seeing how that is actually one of the key players in um, releasing some of the um, negative energy from your body. And also it's an unbelievable stress and inflammation reducer. So those are different, different strategies that I've been implementing. Um, and now that we're starting to dial it in, getting closer and closer, I'm just upping as much of that stuff as I can. Yeah, you do it as often as possible. Yeah. The cryotherapy for me has been so big mentally too, like coming out of that tank. Your like height. Running wears you out yeah. mentally. Yeah. Like it's hard. Running yeah. fast you over a long period you. of time, you're like, oh, yeah. damn. Like I, physically, obviously, but mentally, you're also probably due to some of this discomfort. Um, and just the amount of focus you're putting on one thing, like you need breaks away from that. Yeah. And the, the cryotherapy is like, feels like you're jumping in a cold lake times a thousand. <laughs> that amazing like, endorphin rush that you feel coming out of that in, in three minutes is incredible. And I have found that my recovery is stimulated because your mind gets so refreshed. I sleep better on the back end. So 
as much as it helps just physically in terms of reducing some inflammation from just cold exposure, it also has this mental regenerative effect and it helps with sleep. Mm-hmm. That floating does the same thing for me. So I go to Float 60 here in, in River North in Chicago and floating is like a mental thing for me. Obviously being in an Epsom salt bath of that content um, and concentration, the magnesium in there is doing a ton for muscle recovery. But in terms of like the mental shutdown, it's like a perfect hour meditation. Plus it just lulls me down into this crazy parasympathetic state where I'm just good to go. I come out of that, I can be as stressed as possible, have a headache, go come in and out of that, uh, and then the next day get cryo, and like the combination of those two things is insane. And actually, something that really helped me after the half marathon was getting an IV. I got more of like an athlete's treatment in it. Mm-hmm. Um, running never makes my stomach feel all that particularly yeah. good, actually terrible, and they put some anti-nausea medicine in the bag the day after and is like a full reboot for your B vitamins, which are negative. You're borrowing from next week's after you run that hard that fast. Um, And it puts back in just like a ton of anti-inflammatory, anti-nausea, and like a full reboost. And coming out of that is like resets all your hydration levels to you can't possibly put water back that fast. Like intravenous, the, the, the nutrient delivery is immediate. Um, and I think kind of getting through those three things for me has been huge. I think maybe another list on the, another item on the regret thing might be regular manual work targeted at hamstrings and glutes specifically. Like mm-hmm. my calves, I feel like I can handle kind of on my own. Um, hamstrings are just hard to get into. But ha- yeah, own. hamstrings and glutes, you, it, the, the amount of pressure yeah. at that angle is, yeah. is impossible yeah. for you to do on your own. Yeah. Um, and I think just finding somebody that you trust that's really good at it that can get in there like you want to find a physical therapist with manual experience that also understands training yeah that's an athlete you don't go to places that don't get that spectrum that don't have the holistic viewpoint on the manual work that have that background plus anatomy plus training they should know what you're going through yeah and i think one one thing off that. I mean, Otherwise, we, you're just going to crack your back. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we love Balance Flow here in Chicago. Um, they, they've been just crushing our legs and our backs. And I think one thing to stem off what you were talking about is, you know, we can list every single possible recovery tool, person, place, or thing. I think the big thing that what you just mentioned, which I find super interesting, is, you know, when you're in that float tank, you're in this good mental state. I want to walk into a place, like if I'm getting work done on me, I want to be having conversations about superfoods and herbs and, and hydration and working out and yoga and backflips and and not walk into this clinic where it's like Joe Schmo's in the corner because he can't tie his shoes. Like it's just you need to be surrounded by the right people because the mental side, I mean, you know, there's a million studies on placebo and all that. Like it's there's a thing. Like it's there a is thing. a there is a it's a confidence thing. It's a confidence thing. You walk in and you feel good going into a cryotherapy spot. You walk into cryofact and you're like, this place is a vibe. Yeah. There's a higher result. Like it's just a fact. That's why things work the way they do is because yeah, that's the why feelings they're designed that you have. a certain way. Yeah. yeah. So I think finding those places is really important. Um, and I think as we progress throughout this series, we're going to bring on some people to talk to them uh, about specifics. 
And um, I think as our journey progresses, we're just really excited to share about it. So if anybody else is running, um, I put it in my story a few days ago, who else is running the race and has had a bunch of cool DM conversations with people running. Uh, we'd love to hear from you about what you're going through, um, any other recovery tactics that you have that we haven't hit, or if you have questions about them um, as well, just hit us up. Heck yeah. Let's run it. Ready to run more. Should we just go and do it tonight? Ready to run Let's more. Just run 26 today. Damn, can't see what happens. Already ran too much. Peace. Thanks so much for listening to that amazing episode brought to you by Beam. We're really excited to have you guys test their stuff out. Make sure you check out beamtlc.com and use code livebetter at checkout for a discount.